0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today, you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. So, we are continuing our sermon series entitled Intended for Good, where we're looking at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And this week, I'm going to read Genesis chapter 39. And I just want to prepare you, I'm going to read the whole chapter. So if it sounds long and like it's going on forever, well, it kind of is, because I'm just going to read this entire chapter and this whole story here. I remember, too, I once read in a book about preaching where the author recommended that the preacher choose long passages so that it would be harder for a preacher to just make stuff up. And at first I thought, that makes sense. But then I really realized... Someone who's just going to make something up is just going to ignore the scripture, however long it is. So I'm just choosing to do a long passage today just so that we get the full story here. So this is Genesis chapter 39, and I invite you to hear the word of God. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good looking, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he had heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him saying, this is the way your servant treated me. He became enraged and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And please join me in prayer. Lord. You have gathered us here, that we might lift our voices to you, that we might be taught by your word. So we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, your word would speak to us, Lord. We ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we'd be shaped and formed into your likeness, reflecting your character in this world. So Lord, speak to us and guide us now. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So this week we get a little bit of scandal here. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it almost sounds like an episode of The Bachelor or Bachelorette. Derek knows what I'm talking about. He's a huge fan of the show, right? (laughs) I'm just kidding, I never watched that show either. My wife does and tells me everything about it as I'm watching it too. But this week we get some scandal here. Now, just as a way of recap, to remind you all of where things have gone, Joseph received a dream at the beginning of his story. When he comes on the scene in Genesis 37, he receives two dreams that basically tell him he's going to rule over his brothers someday. His brothers don't take kindly to those dreams. So they decide Joseph has to go. So at first they're going to take his life, but then they decide, let's just sell him into slavery. So that's what they've done. They've sold him to these Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites then take Joseph down to Egypt and he's sold to Potiphar. And that's where this story picks up here. And like I said, there's some scandal to this story. And I have to say, the way that it plays out, if I'm Joseph, one of the questions I have is, God, could I have a different type of prosperity here? Because through this story, Joseph does the right thing every step along the way. Potiphar's wife wants to take advantage of him. He's a slave in the household. She actually has power over him. But Joseph refuses. Over and over and over again, he refuses to cross a boundary that has been set by his master and by God. Joseph does the right thing. And God does make him prosper in the small ways. He's able to manage a household. He's able to help that household to prosper. He's responsible. He can make good decisions. But if I'm Joseph, I'm sitting there saying, God, could I have the type of prosperity that doesn't land me into slavery and then into a jail cell? Can I have the type of prosperity that keeps me from these terrible, terrible situations here? And I'll just confess that if I'm Joseph in that prison cell at the end of this story, I would be complaining like nobody else. And I think for good reason. Most of us, I think, would be looking at all these circumstances and pointing out how unjust all of this is. Joseph refused. Joseph did the right thing consistently. And yet he still ends up in jail. Surprisingly, though, we don't get any record of Joseph complaining. The writer of this story doesn't tell us that Joseph... Ever raised his voice against the Lord here while he's there in jail? Instead, what does Joseph do? He puts his head down and he continues to do the right thing. He continues to try to be faithful with the skills God has given him. In this way, I don't think this story is an exception for Joseph. When you look at the Bible, a lot of the times when you read about the human characters in the Bible, you realize pretty quickly most of these people are far less than heroes. Though we try to lift up the human characters as heroes, most of them aren't. I mean, think about Abraham. We know Abraham has a lying issue. He he lies at least a few times. And by today's standards, Abraham has some very complicated relationships. He's the father of the faith, and yet he's in an incestuous polygamous marriage. He has two wives, one of whom is his half-sister, and he has two concubines also. It's a little problematic. He also treats Hagar in a pretty horrible way. Or look at Jacob, Joseph's father, Abraham's grandson. Jacob is essentially a trickster who hustles people. He schemes. He deceives people over and over again. Or jump ahead to King David. We sometimes lift King David up as a hero. But go back and read David's story really closely in First and 2 Samuel. King David was a disaster. When you look at how he actually reigned as king, he abuses his power with the story with Bathsheba, as we all know about. He violates her, then has her husband killed, and completely abuses his power as king for his own self-gratification. And then he can't seem to make a decision. His children end up killing each other, starting a civil war, And then Solomon, his son, who's supposed to be the great wise king, he ends up setting up idols all throughout Israel. He taxes the people far too heavily so that when Solomon dies, the nation of Israel splits apart into civil war. These are not the signs of heroes, of people who make good decisions. And sometimes I think we can be a little too quick to make heroes out of the human characters in Scripture when the point is that God is actually the hero. But Joseph is an exception to that. I think when you read Joseph's story and you get a glimpse of Joseph's character, you realize he's somebody that you actually could rely on. Joseph consistently throughout his story is at least making good faith decisions. He's trying to do the right thing. He doesn't try to seek his own gratification He doesn't abuse people. He's trying to serve people consistently. So for me, throughout all of the Bible, Joseph's character stands out to me the most. He's one of the easiest characters to look to and to say, you know what, I like this guy. I want to be like this person. But it's surprising to me because he also has some of the greatest challenges in Scripture. And what exactly is it that sets Joseph's character apart? Why is it that he continues to be, to act in good faith, to be faithful to what God has called him, seeks to serve others constantly wherever he is? I think one thing that we learn from Joseph's story and that we can take in life in general is the fact that character matters. This is important. Character matters. When I say character matters, let me just clarify a couple things, though. When I say character, I'm not saying moral perfection. That's not what I'm saying here. Nobody's going to be morally perfect if you're human. And Joseph, while he has good character, he's not perfect. He has a little bit of an issue reading the room in a number of stories. He gets that dream about how he's going to rule over his brothers, and he doesn't seem to understand how to communicate that dream well. He's a little annoying in that. And a few other times in this story, he doesn't seem to read the room well. He doesn't seem to understand how people are going to respond to him. He has this kind of naive faith in people, it seems. And it gets him into trouble. So he's not perfect. But like I said, you read this story and you get a glimpse of this person and you realize he's trying to genuinely serve God and serve others. He's trying to be faithful to God, and he consistently tries to use the gifts he has to bless whoever God brings into his life. So when I say character, that's what I mean. Not that we're going to be morally perfect, but that we are at least trying to care for others. That we are at least trying to be honest. Have our words match up with reality. So that's when I, say, when I say character, that's what I'm referring to. And when I say that it matters, I'm not talking about it mattering for salvation. We're not talking about working towards salvation or being good people so that we are therefore saved. It's not a transaction. When I say character matters, what I mean is it matters for the sake of the witness of the church. We have this hope. This hope that God has overcome death in Jesus through the cross and the resurrection. We also lift up Jesus as Lord. But Jesus gave us extensive instructions on what a Christian's character should look like. The people of God who follow God have a standard of what character should look like, of how we should behave, of how we should use our words, of what words we should use. And whenever we as Christians ignore the character that Jesus lays out for us, or whenever we support leaders, who ignore the character that Jesus lays out for us. We send a clear signal to the world that we don't believe what we say we believe. That in our actions, in our support, in our words, we don't actually believe Jesus is Lord and that the way of life he lays out for us is the right way to live. We all know people who have walked away from the church, who have strayed from the church. We all know people who have never grown up in the church, who now look at the church with skepticism, And don't trust Christians. The number one reason they'll give you is because of hypocrisy. And it's not that Christians haven't been morally perfect, it's that too many of us have taken the character exemplified in Jesus and set it aside and decided other things were more important like power, like influence, like control, like security. And every time we do that, it hurts the church's witness and it gives people good reason to not trust us. If in our actions, in our words, we don't actually show people that we believe that Jesus is Lord, that he understands how to live best, why would they trust us? Character matters for the witness of the church so that this hope that we have can spread. But here's the tricky thing. I can't just say to you, have a good character. And you can't just say to yourself, there's a checklist of things that I'm going to do. And start trying to do that. You're you're going to fail. You're going to send yourself down a spiral. That's the tricky thing with this idea of following Jesus and actually living life the way Jesus tells us to. The more we focus on ourselves, the harder I think it is to actually live up to that standard and to exemplify that character. And this is where I think Joseph can actually help us here. Why is it that Joseph seems to be able to maintain this character that God has given him? To remain faithful to others, to remain faithful to God, despite the circumstances? Why is it though, even though it would be easier for him to just go along in some sort of scandal with Potiphar's wife, he refused? And why is it that when he lands in jail, the first thing he does is start serving the keeper of the jail? I have to think that it goes back to that dream that Joseph had. The dream that he was going to rule over his brothers. The dream that started this whole story off. All of Joseph's story needs to be seen in light of that dream that he's given at the beginning of the story. And I think it's easier to remain faithful to God when you have a picture of what the end goal is. When you have an understanding of how God is going to end things, When you can trust in that picture, that vision of how things are going to end, it makes you less insecure. It gives you a confidence in the way things are going to play out. Joseph is there in prison. He's having all of these down moments where he's sold into slavery, he ends up in prison. But I have to think that in that moment, he knows he had this dream. This dream is going to come true. Whatever may happen in that moment, God is going to fulfill that dream. So in that moment, Joseph is able to set aside insecurity, to set aside fear, to set aside anxiety, and to respond confidently, lifting up the standards that he knows God holds him to, regardless of whatever the consequences may be. And Joseph experienced bad consequences for doing the right thing over and over and over again. And guess what? We as Christians will too. But we can do so confidently, faithfully. We can lift out the character Jesus exemplifies for us because we actually know how this story ends also. For those of you who were here last week, I I read this passage from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to read it again. And my hope is that this picture begins to function for us, similarly to the dream that Joseph has. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, it tells you what the end is going to look like. Maybe not of your specific life, but the end of history, it tells us what it's going to look like. We know the end goal here. I'm going to read this to you now. This is Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Hi, Coda. How are you doing? (laughs) That's Coda, everyone. Coda likes the Bible, too. Christian dog. Going to pick up here at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See? The home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. I'm going to read that last verse one more time. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. That's the picture of the end. And if we want to live out the character that Jesus calls us to, focusing on God's work to achieve that end is the way we do that. Trusting in God's ability to accomplish that end goal is the way that we do that. Focusing not on our own efforts, but focusing on God's work and all that God is doing to alleviate pain, to make death a distant memory, to make grief and loss things of the past. Being rooted in God's work to accomplish that end goal, that's what gives us the strength, the tenacity, and the courage to respond in a way Joseph did. Knowing the end goal makes things so much easier. And having that hope sustains us. So like Joseph, may we remain faithful to God despite whatever circumstances. May we exemplify the character that Jesus calls us to Today, may we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for Joseph's example. We thank you that through him, you give us a glimpse of somebody who was able to maintain consistent character. Someone though, though he wasn't perfect, was able to at least try to do the right thing. Help us to be more like Joseph, Lord. In those moments where the world might look at us and say that we are naive, help us to use that moment to say that it's not that we're naive, it's that we have hope in you. It's that we trust in your goodness. Help us to not set aside the character that you call us to. Help us not set aside the standards that you call us to, Lord, knowing we're not going to be perfect, but for the sake of the witness to the world, Lord, help us to uphold the standards that you call us to. Help us to actually act as though you are Lord and that you know how to live life best. And that when you tell us to love our enemies, to serve those who persecute us, to pray for those who might harm us, Lord, help us to just do that.
1: where streams of grace flow deep and wide, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flow